This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode of For Real is brought to you by Lit Stitch, 25 cross-stitch patterns for book lovers made by Book Riot and Abrams. Inside Book Riot's Lit Stitch, you will find a number of rad bookish cross-stitch patterns. Some of these are for bookmarks, others are for wall decor, and still others can take on a whole host of finished outcomes. What they have in common is their literary bent. The patterns speak to all manner of literary-minded book lovers who are happy to display their nerdier sides. I know I am. And what better way than through your own cross-stitch art to hang on your wall, prop on your desk, or even gift to friends and family, and most, if not all, are beginner-friendly, which I'm sure is a relief to all of us stuck in quarantine, and can be completed in a few hours instant stitchification. So grab yourself some excellent embroidery floss, hoops, and needles, and pick out one or more of these great cross-stitch patterns for your next project. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Ukura. We're recording on Thursday, May 7th. Hello, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you today? Um, you know, sleepy, but otherwise mm-hmm. here for books. Yes. And nonfiction, more specifically. <laughs> Yes, I feel like, at least in Minnesota, it seems to me like this week is when people have finally sort of lost it uh, <laughs> and are just sort of like, why is this still happening? Which is, is unfortunate because we're all going to be in this place for quite some time, I'm sure. Um, but it just feels like people have sort of reached the end of their limits. Uh, and I, I felt that a little bit myself, too. <laughs> and you guys are so polite up there. So I wonder how that actually presents itself. You know... It represents itself in people being really grouchy on social media, in my in my experience anyway. Got it. But you, I believe, are channeling some of that through Animal Crossing still? Indeed. I am still playing Animal Crossing. I uh, recently was able to amass uh, a million bells, uh, which is oh like my Animal Crossing dollars, uh, which is not a lot compared to I know many people, but I felt actually satisfied by that, which I, and then I was like, wow, that's... That's kind of a problem for you. No, that's that's a very amazing accomplishment. Did does that is that like a giant pile of bells or like how does that present itself? No, you actually you can put them in the bank and then they amass interest. So the bank gives you extra bells for keeping. Yes. Okay, for keeping bells. Yep. yep. But I, I, the only reason I got that many is because I chose not to pay off my house quite yet. So. Um, I still have to, you know, pay off my house, but, you know, my sister and I were joking, like, the reason we're so into Animal Crossing is because it lets us do all of the things that we can't do right now, like go shopping for clothes and furnishings for our house and redecorate our house and go outside and run on the beach and all these other things, travel to different islands and see each other. So uh, we're still pretty into it. What have you been doing? Uh, Oh, I feel put on the spot there because I have not... (laughs) been doing that much of anything um re-watching 30 rock nice i started netflix's hollywood which is fine 
And um, can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. My sister and I watched the trailer for it and both of us got to the end and we were like, I have literally no idea what that's about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, what is it? What is it about? It's a great question. Have I finished the pilot? No. But <laughs> um, I guess it's not even a pilot because it's Netflix and they just order a whole series. So it's episode one. But it's the writing is like they really think that they're being stirring in their writing. Like they'll write a speech. And I kept waiting for it to be like a joke at the end to be like, haha, yeah, you tried to have like a moving moment. But no, they were like, this was moving. So I don't know. <laughs> On the other hand, though, I love the aesthetic of classic Hollywood and the 40s. And mm-hmm. so um, seeing that and also adding in some actually like diverse elements to it and like addressing important issues is cool because it's not a thing you usually see in like a classic Hollywood aesthetic. So mm-hmm. I admire some of what they're doing. Also, very early on, Patti Lapone has an amorous adventure with a young man, which Ooh. I was not expecting. So that there's like a lot of stuff you normally don't see. And so I think it's maybe worth watching just for that. Okay. Yeah, we just watched the thing and we couldn't figure out what the plot of it was at all from the trailer thing. There's a young man who wants to be a star. And that's, huh. <laughs> that's how that's much it. I've gotten from it for like so far. Uh, that sounds excellent. Have you have you been reading anything? I so many things and um finishing none yet again. But like I've said that before and I've been finishing like comic books, but I've literally been finishing nothing. So that's that's where I am. What about you? I actually I I finished two books that we have talked about on the podcast before. The first one uh, is American Harvest by Marie Matsuki Mocket, uh, which was a story about green harvesters and uh, the harvest season in the United States going from like Texas up to Nebraska. Which is like very kind of slow and talks a lot about religion and politics and differences between like the city and the country and doesn't seem like the kind of book that I would be into right now because of kind of the slow pace, but I was very into it. Uh, It just took me kind of a while to finish it, but I really liked it. I thought it was great, although I'm... I feel like it's maybe a weird little like reading quirk of mine, and I'm not sure how how many other people will find it as engaging as I did, <laughs> but I loved it. Yeah. And then um, you talked about Why We Swim by Bonnie Tui, um, and I read that one uh, last weekend, and I really loved that one too. It's all just about like why we swim, uh, and I just thought it was very soothing and nice, and like I wanted to go swimming, and hopefully we'll all get to do that soon. Uh, I just I really like that one too. So both of those are recommended by me. It's a real calm book. Yeah, it was very calm. I I, I liked it a lot. All right, so we will uh, jump into our uh, first sponsor. So our first sponsor for this week is uh, In Good Hands by Stephanie McKendrick from KCP Loft. So this book is a -a one-of-a-kind insider's guide that is perfect for young women who are ready to make a change. It combines the uplifting stories of 19 women from around the world who have run for office with practical advice for anyone who wants to follow in their footsteps. It explores everything from what to expect in a campaign to how to deal with the inevitable challenges to why it's even worth it to run. It's written to encourage more people to run for political office and into leadership careers. Stephanie McKendrick, in writing it, spoke to dozens of women politicians from around the world. Um, She features 19 of them in the book. So the number of women leaders the young people are seeing can help guide us through this crisis that is kind of inspiring and telling. And so this book is about that. And um, it's imperative that young people see women in these roles to encourage them to follow such paths in their own futures. And so uh, this book can be kind of an inspiring opportunity for those people. So that is In Good Hands by Stephanie McKendrick from KCP Loft. 
All right. So for this week's nonfiction news, like there actually is some, which is kind of exciting, uh, given that like the rest of the world, it feels like most bookish things are getting delayed or postponed and all of that. So I actually have three that I wanted to bring up that I am kind of interested and excited about. So the first one is that Becoming by Michelle Obama is now a Netflix documentary, which I... I did not know that this was coming, and I don't know if I just missed it or what, but it is out uh, yesterday, May 6th, um, so you'll be able to watch it when you hear this episode. The, I watched the trailer, uh, and it made me tear up. It's so good. <laughs> and Michelle Obama is just, like, such a cool, she's such a cool lady and, like, so inspiring for people and just so inspiring to see. And, and then documentary, she looks just more joyful than I feel like I saw her ever during, like, the Obama administration, so... I'm really excited to maybe watch that this weekend and be kind of a inspiring movie choice. Have you watched the thing where she and Ellen go to like CVS or something? No, I don't think so. It's like a little fun clip. What I enjoy is that she seems genuinely annoyed by Ellen <laughs> throughout <laughs> her shopping experience, which is very like of the moment, but it was filmed years ago. So I had, I had like, again, Michelle Obama being a trendsetter. That's so funny. Yeah, so Becoming Netflix documentary, I've not watched it, but I'm hoping to watch it soon. Uh, you can catch that now. Second piece of news is that the Pulitzer Prize uh, prizes were announced, and there are some interesting picks in the book nonfiction categories. I actually have not read any of the winners, which I guess is not super surprising, but um, I am I'm interested in them. So the history winner was called Sweet Taste of Liberty, A True Story of Slavery and Restitution in America by W. Caleb McDaniel. The biography winner was Sontag, Her Life and Work by Benjamin Moser. And there were two winners for general nonfiction. Uh, one was The End of Myth, From the Frontier to the Border Wall in the Mind of America by Greg Grandin. And uh, the other is called The Undying Pain, Vulnerability, Mortality, Medicine, Art, Time, Dreams, Data, Extraction, Cancer, and Care by Ann Boyer. And I have that last one coming for me at the library, mostly because I love that subtitle. Uh, it is a good one, I think. It's so many nouns. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I really like that, though. So those are the winners. Um, also, if you get a chance to check out some of the journalism winners, usually those are really, especially the um, feature writing categories, those are usually some really nice long form pieces that maybe if you're not in a book's mood right now, something like a long form journalism piece might be the right length. So definitely check those out. And then finally, the one that I am the most excited about, I think, is that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are going to be uh, participating in a tell-all book uh, that they are involved in writing. So the book is called Finding Freedom, Harry and Meghan and the Making of a Modern Royal Family. It's going to be published in August around the world. And for the book, they cooperated with a couple of reporters, Harper's Bazaar Royal Editor and Elle Magazine's Royal Correspondent. Uh, and so they collaborated with those two journalists to um, write this book about their lives. The publisher says the book will tackle the many rumors and misconceptions that plague the couple on both sides of the pond, that the authors have unique access and the cooperation of people around Harry and Meghan. And I am super into this because I am fascinated by the two of them. <laughs> As you should be. It's a good news item. Yeah, I'm super excited. And like they have kind of disassociated themselves from the British press. They're not really engaging with them anymore. And so I think it will be interesting to just hear about their their lives from their perspectives rather than kind of the frankly a little bit racist and um, unfair coverage I think that they've gotten, Megan in particular. So in August, we will get to hear from them on their stories, which I'm I'm excited about. Are you a royals person? I don't remember. 
Um, I did wake up at four or five a.m. Whatever to watch. Uh, William and Catherine's what? But clearly, I'm like, mm-hmm. is that her name? Kate. <laughs> her name is Kate Middleton. It's been it's been some time since I've really been following them, but I enjoy them from a historical meaning perspective. That makes sense. I think every, everything with all of this nonfiction news and interest level sort of tracks with our <laughs> basic background interests. Um, yes. No, but that sounds really good. So with that, with no segue, here's our second sponsor. <laughs> it is a quick and easy guide to they, them pronouns from Oni Press. This is super cool. So whether you're tired of people not understanding gender neutral pronouns, they're really easy, you guys, or just looking for an easy way to introduce gender neutral language into your life, longtime friends Archie and Tristan are here to make inclusive language easy with their short and fun comic that's a comic. That's like the easiest thing. A quick and easy guide to they, them pronouns. Learn what personal pronouns are, why they matter, how to use them, what to do if you make a mistake, and some tips and tricks for staying safe in this binary-centric world. It is perfect for people who use they, them pronouns and people who want to learn more. So you can also like gift this to friends, family, possibly co-workers, depending on your level of comfort with them, to help increase inclusive language in the workplace, in social settings, and at home. It's 64 pages long, so really easy and quick uh, as a way to gain an introduction to gender-neutral pronouns. It's created by Archie Bongiovanni, a genderqueer artist and longtime friend, Tristan Himerson, a cisgender dude, to, <laughs> that is their word, not mine, to help people understand gender-neutral pronouns, specifically they, them. Uh, so this is uh, affordably priced and available now. Order today and get it in time for Pride Month. We're almost at Pride Month in June. And so again, that is a quick and easy guide to they, them pronouns. Thank you for sponsoring. Excellent. Yeah, that does sound really good. All right. So we will uh, get into new books, uh, books that are out recently in the last few weeks um, with publishing, like really states are getting bumped around and delayed. And so we're kind of stretching, I would say, a little bit of the what we're considering new just to kind of make sure we're getting to talk about a bunch of different stuff. So uh, you're up first. Yeah, I think in this current space we are as an I was going to say as a nation, but as a world, our scope is probably going to be like around a month. You know, mm. like if it's been published in the last month, we're going to call it new. Also for nonfiction, we've had this talk before. I feel like it's not usually as pressing. Like people aren't like, oh my gosh, I have to get that like Harry Truman bio right now to read and talk <laughs> about with my friends. <laughs> so um, anyway, with that in mind, I am extremely excited about this book. It's called Scandinavian Noir in Pursuit of a Mystery by Wendy Lesser. It's published by FSG. It came out, I believe, May 5th. So Wendy Lesser, this is, it's like, okay, I had this book, I got a galley of it, and I was like, yeah, I don't read Scandinavian detective fiction, whatever. And I finally picked it up, and immediately, you know when you like click in with the writing of a book, Mm -hmm. like just the style of the writing, that is exactly what happened for me with this. Like I started reading it, and I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. And it's also like, so she is the founder of the Three Penny Review, the author, and She is a huge fan. It's a fandom book, which you wouldn't think just based on like Scandinavian noir, like as the title. But it's basically she has read like hundreds of Scandinavian detective novels, which I didn't know that many existed, but they do. And which was greatly helped by 
girl with a dragon tattoo being really popular. So then like, you know, more were being written and then more were being published uh, in America. So you had access to these like, specifically for her Danish, Swedish and Norwegian detective novels. So she focuses on those three countries because I think they have the most sort of output in terms of those. So what she does, she separates the book into a few sections. It starts off being like, here's an overview of the genre of Scandinavian detective novels. Here is why I love them, which is all like fascinating because I think anytime you hear someone talk about like why they love something, right? Mm Because their interest is going to make you at least a little bit interested. Yep, 100%. Yeah, so like that's her doing this. So she's like, here's why I love this. And then she talks about how she was like, I've never been to like Scandinavia, but this is how I think of it. Like, here's what I think I've learned about it based on these novels, because they're very um, kind of atmospheric and they put in a lot of world details in it. So she's like, here's what I think it's like. And then she goes there and it becomes like a travelogue. And she's like, here's how it compares to the like imaginary Scandinavia I had in my head. So it's really interesting and it like gives you it makes you first of all want to read Scandinavian detective novels if you haven't already, because it definitely has done that for me. I was like, oh my gosh, I should read this like 10 book series that she's talking about, like how amazing it is. It's just, I'm really, really liking it. It's so interesting and just again, like just that opportunity to read like a good writer talking about what they love is just a, a treat anytime. So that is Scandinavian Noir in Pursuit of a Mystery by Wendy Lesser. I love that. Yeah, I love books by people writing about the thing that they love that seems so odd that you just like don't know anything about. It's just, yeah, like you said, it's so fun to like be inside somebody's excitement for their thing. So, yay! oh, that sounds really good. Yeah, great pick. So my first pick is by an author that I really like. Uh, It's called Enemy of All Mankind, A True Story of Piracy, Power, and History's First Global Manhunt by Stephen Johnson. Uh, It's coming out May 12th from Riverhead. Um, And so Stephen Johnson has written a bunch of different books, and he is kind of a historian, but he's mostly an ideas guy. And so he writes these books that are mostly just books kind of tracing not like the history of ideas, but like how kind of ideas flow through history and how they connect with one another, connect with each other in weird ways. So like he did a book a long time ago that was about like the history of play, but it was mostly about like ideas about play and toys and stuff like that over time. So this book is about piracy power and uh, the first global manhunt and how that has contributed to like multinational global capitalism today. So the book starts with this attack on an Indian treasure ship by a pirate named Henry Every in 1695. And Henry Every was the 17th century's most notorious pirate. And so this particular attack was very unlikely. There's a bunch of reasons why it shouldn't have worked, and yet it did. And so he talks about that attack as sort of the central part of an hourglass, the the waist at the part where everything kind of comes together. And so the opening of the hourglass is kind of all of these big global movements about pirates and terrorism and journalism and the media and storytelling and East India Trading Company and the British Empire and global economies and kind of all of those things come together to this one attack on a ship and then it spreads out to the bottom of the hourglass to talk about how all of those things led to multinational capitalism, basically. And so it's this book about kind of all of these ideas and how they connect to each other. But it's also kind of a true crime story because it's this attack on a pirate ship that also becomes a manhunt and um, results in like a ton of money being stolen. And there's a trial at the end of the pirate and just like all of these things coming together. And I think it's fascinating. Like what you said earlier about just sort of like clicking right away. Like I find myself that way with Stephen Johnson. I usually just click with whatever he's doing because I just think he's so 
it just has an interesting way of approaching kind of pulling different threads together. And so I think people who are like more traditional historian or history readers may find him a little annoying, I think, because he doesn't really move chronologically. He kind of moves, he's weaving things together and kind of pulling at different pieces. And so it feels um, he's making lots of different leaps, but I appreciate that because I'm not really a straight history reader most of the time. Um, so I like that style that he uses. The chapter that I, I've just most recently finished was about a history of pirates, but also looking at how pirates relied on the media to um, amplify their um, brutality and their terror to try and help them be better and more efficient pirates, uh, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, it's just like a, a lot of different things kind of in one book, but basically a story, a true, true crime story about pirates in the say, 17th century. So that's Enemy of All Mankind, A True Story of Piracy, Power, and History's First Global Manhunt by Stephen Johnson. That's also nice and like distant from the events happening right now. So if you want to be like a little escapist, you can read about mm-hmm. a 17th century pirate uh, attack. <laughs> yes. Uh, unlike my next pick, see, did you see what I did there? Um, which, uh, if you do not want to hear about, you know, like disease, whatever they're called, superbugs, etc. Um, well, you're maybe going to want to skip, like, let's say a minute and a half. But so my pick is Biography of Resistance, the Epic Battle Between People and Pathogens by Mohammed H. Zaman. So he is an award-winning Boston University educator and researcher, which I was very impressed to read. But so he basically wrote this book talking about superbugs, which uh, means that they are antibiotic resistant, which is a little bit uh, much to hear right now. But, you know, you can't just if you ignore it, then what are you going to do? So you have to like, it's, it's helpful sometimes to know this knowledge. He talks about this case in 2016 when a woman in Nevada became the first known case in the U.S. of a person who died of an infection resistant to every antibiotic available. So just, you know, anything they gave her just didn't work. We didn't have anything to um, combat this. And I think we've all heard this, right? It's that thing about um, stop using antibacterial hand sanitizer all the time because we're building these super bugs. Of course, in the current time, what are you going to do? But... In general, I think it's talking about um, he's talking about how they are cre- like how these superbugs were created and basically like well the why and the how, which the why is really helpful because if you know the why, then you can actually take steps to try to uh, walk that back a little bit. But he talks about science and evolution and looks at history, culture, attitudes, and our own individual choices and collective human behavior, which again is how you can actually make changes if we do this like collective behavior such as right now. So he follows uh, the trail of resistant bacteria from previously uncontacted tribes in the Amazon to the Arctic and the slums of Karachi, the wilderness of the Australian outback. He just looks at all of these factors that contribute to the potential, you know, rise of the superbug. So this is factors include like war, greed, natural disasters, germophobia, and then pharmaceutical companies that are kind of increasing this uh, likelihood of this happening, uh, as well as like industrialists and governments. And so essentially, it's like you get to learn how this happened, why it's been happening, and then like what can happen to sort of like start hopefully making change towards that. And again, that is Biography of Resistance, the Epic Battle Between People and Pathogens by Mohammed H. Zaman. Sounds very interesting. I feel like he's one of the only authors who's like, boy, my book is coming out at exactly the right time. (laughs) 
Exactly. We were talking before we started recording about how so many books are having their pub date moved. And we were just like, oh, gosh. And then, you know, this one, of course, is like, oh, well, this is great. (laughs) Like in terms of uh, coincidental publishing times. Yes, exactly. So my last pick for new books uh, is called Together, The Healing Power of Human Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World by Vivek H. Murthy. Uh, came out April 21st from Harper Wave. And so this is a book that makes an argument that loneliness is a public health concern that we should try to do something about and argues that it is a cause and contributor to many um, epidemics sweeping the world today, like alcohol and drug addiction to violence to depression, anxiety, and all of those things. So um, the author served as the 19th Surgeon General of the United States under the uh, President Obama. Um, and so he began his tenure as Surgeon General by doing these listening sessions around the country where he had some ideas about what he thought kind of his agenda as the Surgeon General was going to be. And so he went out to kind of talk to people and see if that made sense and what he wanted to kind of hear about. And he realized that there was like loneliness kept coming up. And it wasn't ever like the primary thing that he talked to people about, but it was kind of a secondary issue or something that fed into the things that he was talking about, which is kind of related. And it was something that he found um, kind of resonated everywhere. And when he came back to Washington, D.C. to kind of decide what to do about that, he discovered it resonated across political groups, across ages, across all sorts of places that loneliness is something that people were concerned about. So in the book, he talks about how loneliness can engender despair and isolation, while togetherness raises optimism and creativity. And so the book is an argument for why togetherness is important and offer some strategies and ideas for how we can try to foster togetherness and connection even when we're in a situation now in which those things are really, really hard to do. Um, and so it's about why loneliness is, is difficult and hard and what it contributes to and then what we can try to do about it and try to to make things better. Um, and I, uh, I started reading this one and I wasn't sure if I was going to find it like too kind of sad, like given how, just like how lonely and isolated we all are right now. I wasn't sure if reading a book about loneliness was really going to be what I what I needed, and I actually have found it very um, very soothing, um, just to kind of like you know put a name to something that is hard and recognize that like it's it's hard now, but it's been hard, and it's something we've all like lots of people have struggled with, and then that there are things that we can do that are pretty easy and pretty simple, and so he has this four step kind of suggestion about ways to do that that I I think is doable and helpful. So um, I really like this one. I'm, I'm excited to finish it. So it's Together, the Healing Power of Human Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World by Vivek H. Murthy. Oh, that was nice. Yeah. All right. So uh, with that, we will switch gears into our theme for this week. Um, This is one that we have um, done before, but it is a good one to always come back to, and that is Votes for Women. Uh, This year is the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote. Um, And there are a bunch of books that have come out in the last year or so about that. Um, I think in preparation for kind of this big event and anniversary. And so um, this is one of Alice's favorite topics. So it is. I'm excited. I love her. I love how excited you get about these uh, and how we talk about um, all of these historical women as if they're like your best friends that you like hang out with all the time. So um, we're going to talk about some great books about uh, the women's fight to get the right to vote. Okay. August 18th, 1920. The 19th. <laughs> Sorry, that's one of my favorite jokes is just like 
prepping like a long story by naming the date. Um, no, okay. So, but <laughs> legit, um, this a hundred years ago uh, on August eighteenth this year uh, is going to be the ratification of the Nineteenth Amendment, giving women the right to vote. We should always add the caveat that for you know a lot of black women were still not enfranchised. They might have been legally, but were in practice not able to vote. Um, Chinese women were not able to become citizens for a number of years after this. Um, There were just a lot, uh, I believe also uh, American Indian women uh, were accepted. So it's primarily in terms of practice White women were given the vote August 18th, 1920. Uh, so we it's the 100th anniversary of that enfranchisement. That being said, so many amazing books coming out this year talking about the battle for the vote for women. And I'm going to talk about a couple of them. One is, <laughs> sorry, I'm like so excited about this topic. It's honestly <laughs> my favorite thing in history. Okay. Why They Marched, Untold Stories of the Women Who Fought for the Right to Vote by Susan Ware. Um, First of all, I want to make a little side note that so many of these books have either purple end papers or are like have purple in them because Mm -hmm. the colors of the, you know, like women's right to vote campaign was um, purple and gold. So you've got a lot of that going on. Those are also the colors for the Minnesota Vikings, too. (laughs) (laughs) Throw that out there. Uh, Could there be a link? No, there's not. (laughs) Just really nipping that on the bud there, Kim. <laughs> um, okay, so I really like this book in particular because I've talked about um, different ones in our previous episode on suffrage, but this one is newer and she really makes it episodic. So if you're kind of like, I want to hear stories, like I don't want to just see like, here's the overarching, you know, tale or like, here's the story of like the 1910s movement for it's very like, Here are like 15 page long, like lots of stories about different women and what they did towards like achieving the vote, which is so important because she's able to touch on so many different types of women's experiences. And it was all of their work combined that got us to the point in 1920. So um, she talks about, of course, Susan B. Anthony, Sojourner Truth, um, Charlotte Perkins Gilman, who wrote The Yellow Wallpaper, uh, Ida Wells Barnett, who didn't she win a Pulitzer this year? Wasn't that part of the news? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. She was given, I think it's essentially an, an well, it was a posthumous, of course, Pulitzer, um, because she did not get one in her life for her excellent journalism work. But anyway, Ida Wells uh, Barnett is talked about in it. There's an essay called How It Feels to Be the Husband of a Suffragette, because that was a big you know thing at the time. Essentially, just again, like lots of stories, which is a really great way of approaching this. So if you want to pick up something that you can then like keep these little nuggets in your head and be like, hey, did you know that this person did this like towards the vote? Really good one for that. Oh, gosh, I said that like I was about to name five others, and I just realized I, in fact, am now handing it over to you, Kim. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right, so my first pick is actually a YA nonfiction book um, that I found at the library that I really enjoyed. Uh, The book is called Votes for Women, American Suffragists and the Battle for the Ballot by Winifred Conkling. It came out in 2018, um, and the description says it's for grades uh, 6 to 10, but uh, it is a great book if you just want like a very clean overview of the whole um, battle for the right to vote. Um, It starts just before the Seneca Vols Convention and goes all the way through ratification in 1920, and it ends basically with like they signed it and uh, some stuff happened at the end. Uh, so it's it's very 
very uh, contained to this particular period. It's pretty heavy, I would say, on like Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton and kind of that early part of the fight. Um, although there's a good long section about Alice Paul and kind of the activism that she um, helped lead and was engaged in. It's not super detailed. There's not a lot of names in it. So she gets the names of like the really big players, Sojourner Truth and the ones that you mentioned. Um, But then there's a lot of places where she'll just be like, and then other women did this thing. And so um, if you're a person who wants a lot of like the specifics of the kind of the second tier, maybe um, participants, like you're not going to find that in this book. It's a very high level. Um, But I appreciated that it gave a really nice um, kind of backbone to some of that. And it really, to me, pointed out some of the stories that I wanted to hear more of. Um, Ida B. Wells being one of them. So you get a lot of ideas of where you want to start to kind of learn more. Um, I didn't know a lot about Alice Paul and all of the protesting that she and the um, Silent Sentinels did in front of the White House. And so that's something I really am curious and interested to learn more about. But at the same time of being kind of high level, it doesn't gloss over um, the like really complicated stuff about the women's movement. She's very good at talking about um, how uh, racism uh, was a part of the early movement um, and the way that um, the battle for the right to vote after the Civil War really got ugly and racist um, as people were sort of trying to protect themselves and also worried about what, um, you know, getting votes for African-American men might mean for women and that kind of thing. And she doesn't gloss over any of that, which I think is really important, too, for a book that's targeted at uh, high school students. So, yeah, it's a it's a good, nice, clean overview of the movement and I think is a good way to kind of give yourself um, um, kind of a roadmap to kind of add more stories and information to, I guess, if that makes any sense. So, Uh, That was Votes for Women, American Suffragists, and the Battle for the Ballot by Winifred Conkling. I'm glad that you put like a kind of like a high school slash middle school level book in there because I have – I think the first one I did is like easier to understand, but my next is an uh, academic press book. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, it's great to have – whole uh, spread. Yeah, it's great to have like a mix. So um, this book I got at the Belmont Paul House, which is in D.C. I was so excited to visit it. Um, It's basically one of the sites where the women's suffrage sort of – group did their planning well not technically that was an earlier house but it's a museum now (laughs) so their their group moved there i think post the passing of the you don't need this information of the 19th amendment but um they have a lot of their like elizabeth katie stanton's writing desk is in there and she was not great but it's still cool to see (laughs) so there was just a lot of awesome things so i bought this book in their gift shop which is African-American Women in the Struggle for the Vote 1850 to 1920 by Rosalind Turborg Penn. This book is awesome. It's really short, but really academic. So if you're kind of like, I want some good, well-researched information on this, I don't want to just keep reading about like, you know, these sort of very well-known, well, to if you're a if you have like a cursory knowledge and you know these names, some people don't know who Sojourner Truth or Ida B. Wells are. But if you do and you want to get deeper into that movement, I definitely recommend this. So she looks at these women's stories. She focuses on, she's like, not all of them were from elite circles. She finds working class and professional women from across the nation participating in the movement. So some 
we're using radical means, others conservative. So again, it's kind of like the same as with all of these movements, but she identifies these different players whose names are not that well known and whose stories are fascinating. So if you uh, would like to really focus in on sort of the African-American women um, history involved in the women's suffrage movement, it is African-American women in the struggle for the vote, 1850 to 1920. Excellent. That's a really good addition to this list. So my other pick is one that we have talked about on the podcast before, but it's really good. And so I think it's worth revisiting. Uh, And so it's a book called The Woman's Hour, The Great Fight to Win the Vote by Elaine F. Weiss. Uh, And so this is a book that focuses specifically on the battle in Nashville, Tennessee in August of 1920, uh, which was the last state needed to ratify the 19th Amendment giving women the right to vote. And so it is just about this like six weekish period in July and August of 1920 and what was happening in Tennessee as sort of this whole thing was coming to its very kind of final conclusion because uh, the, uh, enough states had read. Tennessee was the last state that was needed to ratify. The states that had not ratified yet were not likely to do it. And so if Tennessee didn't pass it, it didn't seem likely that it was going to pass at all. So it focuses a lot specifically on the women who are leaders in all of the different facets of the movement. So that the t- different suffragettes, the sort of more conservative group and the more radical group, the Carrie Chapman Cat and Alice Paul and sort of their two um, groups. And then the antis, the women who were fighting against their own right to vote and all of the things that were happening in Tennessee at that time. Um, and so the, the structure of the book is to follow that kind of six weeks. So you get a very clear like, you know, on this day, this stuff was happening. And then the next day this happened. And then this big event happened. But then she uses that to kind of give you other pieces of history of the movement. And so, you know, a character, a woman will pop up that she did something at a particular day in Tennessee, and then you'll get some backstory on her um, and about all of the different uh, groups that were kind of involved in this very last push to ratify or not ratify the amendment. So um, I just, I think her storytelling in this book is really amazing too. Um, There's a line in the beginning of the introduction that I just love because it gives you such a good like flavor of what is all coming. Um, So she writes, the conflict quickly devolved into a vicious face-off, brimming with dirty tricks and cutting betrayals, sexist rancor, racial bigotry, booze, and the Bible, with ghosts of the Civil War hovering over the proceedings and jitters lingering from the Great War, amplifying the tension. Ooh. Right? Like, it's so good, and it gives you such a clear idea of everything that was happening. And so um, it's just a really fascinating deep dive into this very short but very important period um, and kind of how how all of the history of this kind of was bearing down on everyone in this moment. Um, And I just, I really like it. And so I am glad to talk about it again. So that is The Woman's Hour, The Great Fight to Win the Vote by Elaine F. Weiss. And it all came down to one person. It's so dramatic. (laughs) One guy who decided to vote because his mom told him to. (laughs) Thank you, Harry Burns mom. Yes. I have not read this one yet. And I'm really excited to read it. I picked it as my book club book for whatever my month is either june or july so i'm gonna get it in before the 100th anniversary but like just barely so yeah it's gonna be so exciting that's it but it's a good pick and it's supposed to be awesome so i'm really glad that you sort of like 
did a reminder of that. I had some bonus reads just to mention really quick, just to like name their titles. Um, They are Princess of the Hither Isles, a black suffragist story from the Jim Crow South by Adele Logan Alexander that came out really recently. The Myth of Seneca Falls by Lisa Tetralt. I went to a talk of hers and she basically is talking about how we see Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony as the center of the suffrage movement and and Seneca Falls as the beginning of the suffrage movement because they literally wrote the history of women's suffrage. It's a two-part volume. Um, And there is Funding Feminism, Moneyed Women, Philanthropy, and the Women's Movement, 1870 to 1967 by Joan Marie Johnson. So if you're interested in like, how did like, how does stuff get funded? How did they make this happen? Who paid for it? Um, It sort of goes into that. So those are some just little extra reads. That's fun. Can I ask you a question about the myth of Seneca Falls? Yeah. So I read, yeah, in the, um, the YA uh, nonfiction, I, they talk about them deciding they're going to write, like, the history of the women's movement. So, like, what did they leave out of that? They – well, okay, so I've heard m- conflicting accounts, but um, another person who was very active around the same time they were was Lucy Burns. Oh, yeah, that's in that's in the book. Okay. Yeah, so, right, so they had a falling out, and they established their separate, not like, national women's parties to, like, try mm-hmm. to get the vote, and sh- they sort of – One story I heard was that they just sort of erased her from the history of women's suffrage and, like, her work towards it. And the other story I heard was that she – they were like, hey, can you send us, like, your reminiscences on this and whatever? And she was like, no. So um, I don't know what the truth is. But – so that whole aspect was kind of out of it. They are definitely a more – both radical and more conservative wing of the movement. And a lot of people would talk about how it started – with women working for, you know, abolition. And um, because, you know, the whole thing that got it kicked started basically was women were like, well, we want to go out and speak and like help with, you know, um, abolition. And a lot of men were like, no. (laughs) And so women started being like, well, why not? And then that's how the whole votes for women thing got started, in my opinion, based on my reading. That's my little asterisk right there. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Cool. I was just, I, um, I was curious, like, because that book is really like the, it gave me a really good backbone for everything. And so now I'm curious about some of the, you know, other pieces with that. So yeah, cool. Oh, that's awesome. We'll talk offline. <laughs> yeah, super interesting. All right. So um, yeah, it's going to be a fun year for, I think, books about this. I think there's probably more coming out in the next few months before August. And then August is going to be real fun. So All right. So with that, we will um, wrap things up as we normally do by talking about the books that we are reading right now. Um, So I am in the middle of an audiobook, uh, Jessica Simpson's memoir, Open Book, uh, which she narrates herself. So Jessica Simpson was a pop singer in the uh, vein of, or the same time as Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and all of that. Um, she was a reality TV star. She was married to Nick Lachey for a while. They had a show and then they got divorced and She's a, a Christian, um, very religious, and that was kind of coming out in her music, but not really. And so this memoir is kind of her opening up about all of that. Uh, and so she's one of the pop stars of my teenage years, and I, I have found the audiobook uh, very fascinating. Um, she is, I would say, very candid about um, a lot of her own issues around anxiety and her 
body and her appearance and her use of drugs and alcohol as a way of coping with her anxiety and about her relationships and all of that. So it's leaning on the like sort of gossipy side, but I feel like she is as harder, harder on herself than she is on any of the people that she's telling you about. Um, And so I think that that gives it sort of a nice, you don't feel like she's being mean to people because she really is being open and honest and and forthright about her own um, flaws and the way that she has made mistakes. And her narration is really good. Like she gets very emotional in parts and you can tell that. And I appreciate that. I think that definitely makes a difference. So I don't know that I'm like a huge Jessica Simpson fan now, but like I grew up listening to all of her music. And so it's kind of fascinating to just like get a peek into all the stuff that was going on behind the scenes at like Nick and Jessica, the newlyweds and all of that. So I'm uh, I'm into it. She's really having like a redemption moment. Mm-hmm. In our mm-hmm. in our culture, which is awesome because people were really mean to her for a really long time. They were so mean to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in a total pivot from your currently reading, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I am reading Absolute Monarchs, A History of the Papacy by John Julius Norwich. It's really good. There's like, there's talking about all of like starting from the beginning and it's kind of like, why if you know jesus was like peter you are the rock on which i build my church but he wasn't like and also all these people after you like why do we have popes and then what did they do and who was good and who was bad and it's just it's fascinating and with that you can find us on social media i am at it's alice time and kim is at kim the dork and if you have a few minutes and want to visit uh, find us on apple Podcasts, you can leave a rating and review um that helps people find us more easily and while you're there you can subscribe so that you get new podcast episodes the very minute that they come out and so with that i am kim ugra and i'm alice burton and we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the four real podcast <laughs>